here it is, the episode that I don't know if you've been waiting for it, but I certainly have. I got to interview my first ever role model. Her name is Caitlin Lowe. If you don't know who she is, all you need to know is she was a four-time first-team All-American. She has two national titles at Arizona. She has a silver medal from the Olympics, and she was my role model for a lot of reasons, one of them being she's an even-keeled, driven, very competitive human being that if you were to watch her play, you would be drawn by the amount of confidence and desire to win that she has. So... I don't really want to get too far into it in this part because you guys are just going to love her, but we talk about the power of a role model. So even though she was mine, she had many role models in her life. Her dad and her coaches were some of the biggest influencers that she's ever had, and she goes into why that was today. We go so far into the fact that she loved practice, and she believes that because she loved practice so much and she worked so hard in that realm, that's why she was so good. So this is just a tiny piece of the things that you're going to find in this episode. You're going to learn why she loves outfield. You're going to learn what was the biggest lessons her parents taught her, the game taught her, and so much more. So without further ado, here is my interview with my role model, Caitlin Lowe. Hey there, I'm Ashley Burkhart, owner of Ashley B Training, former D1 athlete and professional athlete in the game of softball. I even spent a little bit of time coaching at the college level as well, but now I coach athletes and especially youth athletes and I try to teach them the ways to become the very best versions of themselves. And I know that they can't do that without a support system that will do anything and everything to make sure their dreams and their goals happen for them. A lot of times I hear parents and coaches saying, hey, I'm just gonna dish my athlete off to you. Hopefully you can figure out what her issue is. Here's the deal. That's not how we should coach. That's not how we should parent. And I can tell you right now, I'm not a parent, but your athlete is the most influenced by you. And I truly believe that you are one of the reasons why she plays the game. And I truly believe you are one of the reasons why she plays so hard. So if we can learn from some of the greats, I'm going to have some of the best softball players, some of the best softball players, parents, even my parents and my family are going to be on this podcast sharing our journeys with you so that when the cleats do come off, you know what to say so that she can learn from her mistakes sooner, so that she can become the best version of her. And that's what we want. We want our athletes to be able to thrive. And that's why we're here. So welcome to this podcast. This is going to get real. This is going to get deep. And I'm here to challenge your thinking. That's why I coach. I'm really excited for you to be here. And I can't wait to hear who else is going to be along this journey with us, learning from some of the best. I'm going to be learning too. So whip out your notebook and let's head to the next episode. Welcome to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. I have probably my most exciting interview today, and you guys will know exactly why when I introduce her, but my good friend now, as of today, (laughs) Caitlin Lowe is in the house. Welcome to the show, girl. Thank you, Ashley. It's been such an honor to catch up with your podcast, and I'm just thrilled to be on your show. Yeah, you actually gave me goosebumps when we were just talking before recording and you were like, yeah, I was just listening to a bunch of your episodes. I'm like, oh, all the ones where I went, I mentioned your name. So. 
Um, yeah, and straight up, when I called you out on Sue's episode, I was a little nervous yeah. to see what you were going to say. I, I knew I had to get on here somehow to redeem myself just a little bit, <laughs> but hopefully this helps just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, so when her and I were talking about role models on her podcast, I, I mean, there's so much power in it, and we don't have to go too far into it because I did an entire episode on it already, but it does actually kind of help fuel your fire when you have somebody that you look up to and that you can, you know, mimic when it comes down to like your first step off the bag when you're stealing or when you're going for a ball in the outfield, things like that, which made me think of, you know, dad and I used to watch you in the Women's College World Series. And I was just like, just getting into slapping at that time. And I'm like, okay, Caitlin Lowe, Natasha Watley, I'm going to be staring y'all down. So learned a ton from you there. But Before we go too deep into the podcast itself, I'd love for you to kind of share your softball journey from where you started, what made you start loving the game and getting the career, the amazing career that you ended up with. And now you're coaching. We can get into all that too, but just kind of give us like a little timeline of when Caitlin started to where she is now. So I would say um, the first time I really fell in love with competing and not even just softball I grew up next to the green belts and it was just a strip of grass at the end of our cul-de-sac. And we used to play wiffle ball there every single night. And this is, I'm five, six years old, you know, all the way up until high school, probably. But it was the first time it's like you lived for after school and going out to the green belt and competing. It was girls and boys. It was just who's going to win. That was my first kind of experience. And You know, growing up in a family of five, we competed for (laughs) literally everything. I mean, the last chicken nugget on the kitchen table, we competed (laughs) for that too. But I got into a lot of things when, when I was little. And I think that was really cool that my parents exposed me to a whole lot of different things. So the first thing I ever tried was actually uh, baton twirling when I was really little and gymnastics. And I thought my parents, you know, I was like, this is the wrong path for me. Like I'm such a tomboy. Um, I hated every second of it, but they, they still tried, you know, let's delve into a bunch of different things. And so they put me in T-ball and my dad grew up playing baseball and football. So he was kind of my first coach and didn't really know a whole lot about swing mechanics or throwing. He knew how to learn. Right. So he did his best to educate himself. Um, but T-ball, it was back in the day, and I'm sure it still is this way. You you hit the ball, and everybody on defense chased after the same ball, right? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you hit the ball, and everybody hit a home run because, you know, the defense was terrible, and nobody had an attention span. And But that's when I first fell in love is, is making contact and just flying around the bases. And it was my favorite thing to do. I, I waited for the weekends to come, and begged my dad all the time to go out to the field and, and get better. So that's when I fell in love for the first time with softball. And I just knew, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to do it for a long time. And he asked if I wanted to try soccer and try all these other things. And I was like, no, like softball's year round in California, right? So you can find a place to play. After that, my dad kind of took over as far as the coaching role went. We went into coach pitch, which is funny because uh, back in the day, it was like if if the pitcher walked you, I don't know if this is how it still is. If the pitcher walked you, your coach came in to toss you a ball and that's what you got to hit. So most coaches came in and they were like, here's a cookie, like hit a home run. My dad tried to strike me out like legit. (laughs) When he would come 
the mound. He's like, oh, you don't want to hit off the pitcher? Well, you're going to hit off of me. So he would make it harder than it was to hit off the opposing pitcher. And now I'm like, okay, that was the greatest thing you ever did for me. But then, yes. dad, come on, you're making me look bad. Like, just give me a stretch so I can hit it. Yeah. Um, you're like, dad, you're the worst. Like, literally, literally. Like, seriously, are you kidding me? But that, <laughs> that was my dad experience. And he kept me, you know, down to earth with just being real about, about things and not taking it too seriously, not taking myself too seriously. And the greatest thing he ever did was teach me how to love something so purely, I think, and not worry about results or, you know, really anything else except for, for loving what the game was at its whole, Mm -hmm. at its core. Um, So that was, you know, I can say a lot of coaches did things for me, but if that didn't come early on in life, I just, I don't think I would be here. And I think it's important to note, like, that feeling can be different for everyone. You know, you can feel that way about, I feel that way about being a mom now, you know, like, it just, it just changes throughout your life. So the, one of the greatest things he did for me, though, is know when to pass me off. He knew he didn't have the mechanical things to make me a better player. He kind of reached his limit at 12 and under, and um, he found... I'd say probably the coach I grew the most with um, at a young age, and that was Dale Moore, and he was my um, Panthers gold, which they're back now, but it was the throwback Panthers gold. And he really taught me, I guess he was the first person to not look at me like I was a little kid. You know, I, I weighed maybe 90 pounds sopping wet. I was tiny. I couldn't hit the ball out of the infield like very far. I could run really fast and I just bunted all the time. He was the first person that looked at me and was like, okay, you're going to be a hitter. And he taught me how to hit, like hit, hit, Um, not slap. He didn't look at me and say, okay, well, you're small, you know, which most coaches did and said, okay, we're just going to have you bunt and they're going to make a mistake. Like he taught me the game and the mechanics and the beauty of swinging away. And, and the art form. And I loved that. So got to play with him for quite a bit. And I think one of the coolest things is I was, I was so young playing with a lot of older girls. And that was great for me just to grow up around people. Dina Tyson was <laughs> a big one that just loved that girl, loved that family. And she competed her butt off and she was way stronger than I was with a way stronger arm and just the way she carried herself. And we had a really, really good team and mentors for me to grow up with because I was a, <laughs> I was a homeschool kid, like not a lot of exposure to, to outside events in general. And so to, for me to have just good people to grow up around, I think was really important to my parents too. I credit them a lot for, for the way I grew up in the sport. But um, my high school coach, Mike Gonzalez, was really him and Doug Myers, who's my personal hitting coach, kind of made me fall in love with slapping. They taught me that it was more than just, you know, like this tap and go type of thing. Like when you, when you get down to it, it's, it's a beautiful art. And I know that sounds cheesy, but when it, when it's all working for you and when you can do whatever you want at any specific given time, um, 
that's art. And I, I feel that way about outfield. I feel that way about hitting um, and just the way people play defense. I feel the way about that too. So those two coaches for sure growing up, such a huge impact on my life. And, and this entire time, nobody was trying to lead me in a certain direction. It was all about the game, falling in love with the game and just, you know, harnessing that passion and directing my focus to what was important. And it never was about a scholarship. I think that's very important. It was never about the end game. It was so very present and it's one of the things it's, it's hard to teach girls nowadays to be, you know, so in love with the moment that you're in. Um, it's one of the biggest lessons I've learned through coach Candrea is just embracing the heck out of just that moment. So I'd say those are probably the most influential. And then, and then getting to college, I mean, was an absolute dream to play for coach Candrea and now, um, it's funny. I always tell people, like, I think maybe we spoke 10 words to each other my four years in college. Like, we didn't <laughs> communicate a lot. It was always, you know, observing him. He's, he leads by example. So it's very, very apparent that he loves the game and he approaches it the same way. And you just want to be like him and make him proud. And now that I get to experience the flip side and be in the office and talk to him every day. I'm like, man, like <laughs> this is so much greater. Like why were we not talking in college? And you know, he's, he's just so very great about knowing the people that he needs to be in their corner all the time and talking to all the time. And then he knows the people, which is me. You just, you just let them go. You know, they're going to be hard on themselves. So you don't necessarily have to be hard on them. They're going to, hopefully motivate themselves um, to be up for games and, and all those good things. It's another thing I learned from him. But after college, I'd say the pro league was probably the most humbling experience <laughs> because say that <laughs> yeah, just the most challenged I've ever been um, as a softball player. And, and yes, playing on team USA, it was almost more challenging in practice because I was practicing with the greatest players ever. And one of my role models uh, was Laura Berg in the outfield. I mean, you just can't, you just can't even honestly speak anyone else's name in her, <laughs> you know, like I just, I can't, she was my end all be all. And I remember getting to practice with her for the first time and it was far beyond greater than watching her in a game because and I'm a practice player too. I, I felt like I had found like, I'm like, these are my people, you know, like <laughs> mm -hmm. I love this because every single person on that team, they just loved practice so much. And the, the three or four hours that we were on the field every day where there wasn't a crowd and we were competing our tails off. And the, the beauty of watching that girl throw the ball in outfield throw crazy. I mean, just an art form, just perfect Daxton one hops, like taggable throws every time. You're just like, man, like that's what I want to be. And I'm, and I'm standing right next to her, you know? So like I'm next person in line. You better not have a bad throw after that or it's going to look really bad. So yes. And then the pro league was obviously the most challenging because as far as structure goes, you know, you go from college, right? And they tell you, you're going to work out 6am. You're going to go to class. Everything's built in for you to succeed. Right. So mm -hmm 
that's easy for me. You just, you tell me the process. I'm going to kill the process. The pro league was the first time I was challenged to, I had to create my own process and it was, you know, you're nine months off and at home. And the first time I'm like, you know, okay, not feeling as motivated. Like, what do I do? I have to create something for myself. So that was hard. And for my first couple of years, I had to figure that out. And once I did, I got, I got better at it. But those first couple of years, it was like, man, I have to almost be the coach and the player at the same time, which I think I grew up a lot doing that and hopefully kind of passing that on to the next generation because, you know, we have a lot of girls now. I love seeing draft day for the NPF and I loved watching athletes unlimited this summer because I truly think you grow up so much more when you're in that type of environment with the best of the best who they all share your passion. They all share your goals. You're not in school anymore and you're trying to figure yourself out, right? You're mm-hmm. trying to figure out what your identity is and what you're going to do next. And, but also just thrive in this. I mean, I, I get goosebumps that we can actually have that type of um, career choice now, right? Like that you can look at that and most of our girls did. I mean, especially in quarantine with no sports on, they were like glued, but aspire to be those people. So, so that's also been really cool. Yeah. I was just like you and glued to the TV for the same reason. Yeah. I mean, so your pro experience was a lot longer than mine. How many years did you play? Maybe six or seven, I think. So I only played, so it's this actually, now that I think about it, I played two years and my first year was your first year not playing. Okay. (laughs) We just missed each other. Dang it. So I was like, like exactly what you're saying where you're like, you get to compete against role models that you've had, role models that you have now. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool to be surrounded by that. So I was like, oh my gosh, like Caitlin. And then all of a sudden you're not playing. I was like, oh, I know Natasha, like I'll go after her. Yeah. Well, I didn't even know honestly that that was going to happen. I, I went into the year. I didn't want to say that that was going to be my last year. That's what, um, Coach Kendra wanted me to do that. He's like, make sure you tell people if it's going to be your last year. But I kind of went the other way. I was like, I, I want to make sure that I know. I don't want to do this. Yeah. So I got to the last game and we had a heck of a game. We won the championship. And all of a sudden I just started bawling. I mean, just like lost it. And I didn't know until that moment that I was like, it's done, you know, like, I could feel everything just kind of leave my body for a second and be like, like I looked back for the first time, if that makes sense. So like, I didn't really allow myself that much to reflect, but this time I was just like, man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was just like, wow. And my parents were there, like luckily. And I remember Tasha looking me in the face and she was like, dude, no. And I was like, yes. (laughs) Oh no. She's like, no, you're not. And I'm like, yeah, like, and, but I was so at peace with it, you know, like that's, I think that's what it meant to me. It was just like, I knew, and I I was scared that I wouldn't know, but I knew it was time. It was time for a different chapter. So, um, so I'm sorry that we didn't cross over, but I knew, knew at the time that it was right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I have some fun stories of you. So actually I want to ask this. When you were playing, did you also coach at Arizona between? Because I know a lot of people that play in the pro league, they'll go coach at a college and then come back and play. Was that your gig? Is that what you did? So I was, my very first year, I was the director of operations. That crossed over for me 
And then the, the summer that I retired, when I came back in the fall, that was my first year as an assistant. So I hated every second of the director of operations gig. I was like, Oh, I bet. I was like office only and you got to keep your mouth shut, no coaching. And I'm just like sitting in progress like, oh, like I want to, I want to just, you know, chit chat with the players. And, you know, like, I love that part. Just like we talked about before this started. It's one of my favorite things is just to talk the game. So, mm-hmm. so that was horrible. And I tell coach <laughs> all the time, I'm like, I, I mean, the travel, whatever, like I, I can do that all the time, but like to be hush hush about the game is just not in my DNA. So yeah. So I was glad that that spot opened up. Absolutely. So one thing, actually, there's a million things I want to unpack on your story because there were so many great things, but you talked about how your coaches growing up, they meant the world to you and they challenged you and they really, it sounds like never let you settle for mediocrity. Mm -hmm. How much of an impact do you think they made on your decision to become a coach now? Oh, huge. I I didn't have, I was very lucky to not have a negative coaching influence my entire career, which I don't know that many people can say that, you know, I know that you've had, you've had to have like a high school coach that maybe you didn't necessarily agree with, but that can also help you grow in different ways. But yeah, everyone that impacted me, um, I felt so blessed by, and I had an outfield coach um, when I played for the Panthers, George Bustos, who has a famous daughter, in the softball. <laughs> we know her. Because he's like five foot four and Crystal Bustos is this like what? giant of a player, right? Plays the game so big. But George was, yeah, he was the one that taught me how to play big, you know, how to be small and play big. And and I felt like I was six three when I walked on that field because of people like him. And I think that's the coolest thing about coaching to me is making women feel you know, feel like the, their best selves, but so confident and feeling like they can tackle the world and not just, not just the softball field and not just an at bat, but they can go on and become whatever they want to be. And I think that kind of, you know, it got me into coaching, but it really got me into just empowering women and those people that I'm around every day. And, and they, in turn, you know, do the greatest thing for you and they return the favor and they empower you even more. So I think, I think that's important too, but yeah, I'm not going to lie. I was, I was pretty blessed with, with who I grew up with, with USA at, you know, coaches at Arizona, really everyone in my life up until this point, you know, even my coworkers, just like, you know, I think, um, JT was talking about it on your podcast. It's like, if you love who you work with and you love what you do, it doesn't feel like work at all. You know, this is, this is the game we love and we get to do it with people we love. And it's just, you know, yeah, there's, it's not all roses and sunshine and rainbows. It's um, we have our hard days, but you only get through it with people like that. Mm, So powerful. You mentioned how much of an influence your dad was on you and how he knew when to let go. And my dad was the same way. When Mm -hmm. I started playing for a specific, my dad coached me probably until I was 14, but then I started playing for a travel team in the Midwest that went to tournaments in Colorado and California. And we traveled a lot and went to a Mm -hmm. lot of showcases. But at that time, my dad was like, it's time. Yeah. Because same thing. My dad didn't know a whole lot about softball. Like when I was becoming a pitcher, he's like, I don't know how to do this, but we're going to learn and figure it out. Just like your dad would do the same. 
but he knew when to pass the torch. And I think that's one of the most powerful thing parents can do is know when you don't know anymore and know that there's somebody that does know and like hand them off to them. But also don't just hand them off to anybody because like you said, (laughs) like they have to be able to understand your daughter and they have to be able to encourage them and never tell them what they, what they're capable of. Because as soon as you put limits on them, they start putting limits on themselves. But I think it's so cool that, that you mentioned that in the intro that your dad did that for you. And I don't want to say that there's too many egos in the game, but I do think that there are some people that are like holding on too long and it could be hurting their athlete. But yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that. And that's so cool that your, you know, your dad was able to realize that and see that. Mm-hmm. So that's well, so awesome. I can uh, vividly remember. I used to pitch when I was like ten, and this was not my glory days of <laughs> anything. I mean, I threw so slow, but I was like the only one that could throw it over the plate. Um, and I remember him telling me because when you when you go from rec ball pitching to travel ball pitching, it's like shock to the system, right? So. Yes. So I, we were driving to a pitching lesson. I was just like dreading it, right? I'm like not into it. Um, and it became kind of a trend for like three weeks in a row. Like I'm just not into it. And he he just looked at me and he was like, you're either going to do this all the way or we're just not going to do this anymore. And I said, I don't want to be a pitcher. And that was, that was that. And you know, how many times, I mean, how many times do pitchers have to be pitchers because that's what they are? Like maybe that's what, not what they were meant to be. So I, I give him that credit too of like, you better love this if we're going to do it. You know, think about how much, I mean, I never thought about it when it was happening, but how much time, money and resources just go into one of your children (laughs) playing a sport, (laughs) you know, let alone multiple children. So he knew right away, it's like, you better love it. And, and, you know, that was sports for all of us is you better love what you do or it's not going to last very long. That's so good. That's so good. And while we're on the topic of dads, I have to throw in my dad's question for you. So before this, I texted him. I was like, so if you could ask her one question, like, what would it be? And he goes, first of all, I think it's so rad she's coming on. And I'm like, <laughs> I know, me too. Yes, yes, dad. <laughs> but second, he, he talked about competitiveness and he said, how much do you think your competitiveness led to your success in the future? It's everything. I think, I mean, it's everything. I don't know how else to describe it. It drives everything that I do, you know? And I remember when I was in school, our freshman year, we didn't go to the World Series. We were kind of like the disappointment of Arizona, honestly. Like for a year, we were the ones that kind of broke the streak, right? And, um, I remember thinking that next fall, because here's the thing that's hard about college is you play all practice all fall to play in the spring. Like you don't get to compete all fall. And it's really hard to um, come from travel ball where you play five games in a day sometimes. And then all of a sudden you get to college and you're like, where are the games? You know, like you had fall games, but so I had to challenge myself and my teammates And we had great senior leadership that taught us this, but I always compared it to a game. So I would always approach practice as, you know, this was UCLA today, you know, and I can't have a practice that is less than we're playing UCLA today. So Mm. uh, 
that always drove me to to have the perfect practice that coach always talks about um, that you never quite achieve, but you're always striving for. That was one of the things I learned in college was just attach it to something like you don't want to have an off day. You don't want to have an over for three day in the spring. So why are you going to take, you know, you're throwing the bases and have an over three day out there. So, but it's huge. I mean, I compete in everything. My daughter thinks she can beat me in a race now. And I, I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> she's really fast though. I'm passing on the competitive gene to her, but I'm a little worried about where it's going so far. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, it's everything. And it, it's what makes the job so fun. And, and really all parts of the job involve some form of competition. You know, recruiting is yeah. competition, scouting is competition, you know, just coming out here and creating competition for the players and watching them thrive in competition is, I mean, that's when I get serious goosebumps is like watching them carry that on. It's, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. It's so funny you mentioned UCLA, like you're practicing against UCLA. That's how hard you need to go. Mm-hmm. Because Sue was talking about on our podcast how when I mentioned your name, she's like, well, talk about somebody that I wish I would have landed. Like, because she bit us in the butt when we played against each other. But I think it, there's a lot of power in that because I'm sure there's there's a lot of rival between you, you and UCLA. So is there was there a certain game that led to that? You know, we need to practice like we're beating UCLA today. Is there a specific game that is the reason behind that mentality? You know, every time we played them in conference, it was, you know, it was who was going to upset them this, like, it was it going to be us upsetting them or them upsetting us. And the, the one thing I most regret, and I had no control over it, we never played them in the World Series the entire time that I was in Africa. No way. Yeah. So you grow up, right? I'm, I'm growing up and I'm watching them play each other all the time, all the time, all the time. And we would have epic, I mean, epic three game series against them. And then we'd get to the world series and either we would lose or they would lose. And we would never meet like, just like no. by one team. I, we came close one year, but yeah, it was, it was kind of crazy. I, I was anticipating that moment, right? Cause you, I grew up watching you know, this is back when they only had the championship on TV, but Allison McCutcheon was like, okay, I watched her play her senior year against UCLA and Amanda Freed, and she went four for like five with slap, slap, probably another slap, a home run, and then she struck out her last at-bat. She was so angry, right? Because that's like her last, last at-bat. But she's, she's got four hits in the championship game, and I think they ended up run-rolling them. That's when I was like, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to play for him, and I want to do that. Mm. <laughs> you know, like that was, that was my moment. And we never played them. It was, it was very weird to uh, go all four years and not have that happen. Man, but there's nothing like a good three-game series against somebody that you love to play against. I mean, I guess so you could say our rival was IU. So like when Purdue would play IU, that was like our, we get our blood pumping. And it's funny because whether the team, like whoever was playing that was supposedly better, like it didn't even matter that game. Like it was literally both teams are out for blood. How Mm -hmm. important do you think rivalries are as a competitor? Oh, huge. And and honestly, at this point, everyone in the Pac-12 feels like a rivalry. You know, when we were in school, we played Oklahoma almost every postseason. So that was our own rivalry because um, just of the amount of time and in the pressure situations we were playing them. Uh, Texas, I was like, why? I feel like I have 20 at-bats off of Kat Osterman every year, and I don't even know how it happens. (laughs) Ten of my strikeouts every year come from her. 
And, you know, that was a rivalry in and of itself because that was our Everest. Like we could not, you know, we had to keep just chipping away and figure out how to hit that girl. And man, <laughs> we did it at the right time later. And it was one run. And I can remember coach telling us stories of like, it only takes one hit. It only takes one hit. And, and it only took us one hit, you know, like at the right time. I got hit by a pitch and I was thrilled. I was like over the moon. I was like, thank God, give me a first base, you know? I don't yes. care how. Um, but yeah, it was everyone kind of becomes a rivalry in their own way. And these days it's even different than when I was in school. So we so we do have the ASU who we all we always want to beat and and the UCLA's. But yeah, there's some programs now that I feel like we just have epic battles with. Um, and it was funny because I grew up. Uh, my dad took me to UCLA camp every year. So I grew up with Bruin t-shirts and uh, going to overnight camp. That was my first overnight camp. And I remember being this little homeschooled kid who wore, I mean, I was nine and I think I wore jean shorts with like ruffles at the bottom and a pink tank top. <laughs> and I had like <laughs> puffy paint on my helmet. I was like, mom, why would you let me out of the house? <laughs> And I have like a VHS tape of me hitting at UCLA camp. And yeah, so it's funny how small the world is too. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. It's, it's, I think of the same thing for when I used to go to Notre Dame camps. Like that's where I was always going to them. And same thing. I'm like, I was very reserved growing up, which it sounds like, and I've noticed that you're very even keeled. Like when you play, like you don't get, you don't seem like the person when you strike out, like you're not really showing emotion. You're just like, get back in the dugout. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that was one of the coolest things to watch, you know, being the girl T-bowing you in the Women's College World Series. Like you never like got too high or too low, it looked like. So how do you feel? Well, first of all, why were you that way? I really want to know. <laughs> um, and then how do you think that helped you, you know, get over bad losses quicker or things like that? So... When I was little, my dad, I played for a team called the Little Rascals. This was our, um, this was our rec ball team, right? Best uh, name ever. <laughs> <laughs> we used to do hitting lessons in like the old school batting cages where you put the tokens in and like it just, the, the big wheel goes around, right? The like old school thing. And 30 minutes after our team hitting session, he would sit us down. It was like this little room and all the Little Rascals were in the room, right? And so we would read Heads Up Baseball mm. by Kisa. And um, talk about early exposure to the mental game. Like, I don't think there's enough credit or enough focus on the mental game when kids are little. And it was very apparent that, you know, when you're that age, I, I remember used, like, I used to be so emotional if I had a bad day and not like, pouty just like so frustrated that I didn't know how to I didn't know how to handle my competitive like edge like I didn't know how to harness it so those days were really important for me because I had like a failure recovery tool of I'm going to do something that's going to get rid of this and it's going to get rid of it fast so I remember he talked about this like circle that when you're in the circle it's when you're ready right so Anytime you step out of the circle, like take your moment, take your time, like get rid of all the negative. But when you step in the circle, it's about the next pitch. 
that was huge for me. So if I ever, you know, struck out, I always had um, a ritual. And I think he talked about this too. I would always pick up grass in the outfield, have my moment of pure like disgust in my <laughs> approach at the plate or whatever it was. And then I tossed the grass. And when I tossed the grass, it was gone. And and I still did it in college. I still did it on the USA team. And I just, you know, attached it to that, got rid of it. And then I was in my circle again. And I, I kind of used the batter's boxes the same way. But man, like learning that under 10 years old is, I mean, thank you, dad, you know, for, for instilling those things in us that it's okay I mean, look at the game we play. It's total failure all the time, right? But it's okay to have those moments. It's just your response to those moments. And when you get here, you know, Coach Candrea preaches all the time about about being here, you know, and the emotional state or emotionally stable individuals are the ones that are gonna succeed. They don't have roller coaster days or weeks or seasons. So that was really important to have something that I could kind of grasp onto and say it's over. And then I so vividly remember uh, after school with Team USA, like my first year, getting really upset over an at-bat. And it was like on tour, random team we're playing. And I was just like, not, not like terrible just like you could tell that I was not happy with myself and <laughs> Bustos grabs me she's like she used to call me little one she's like little one she's like if if you take every at bat that way it's going to be really hard like it's going to take so much longer for you to bounce back to anything good and and she was so calm and I think I remember her also struggling that day but like her demeanor versus my demeanor was just like it was just so noticeable as far as like okay I get it like I see it now too for myself that that's what it takes it's like just it's it's a short memory and it's learning from it but it's it's man just keeping your composure and using your breath and figuring out what you need to recover from the failure because for everyone it's different some people need to scream and you need to let them scream (laughs) you know they need to storm to the end of the dugout and sometimes that's what I needed but the bounce back you know, but then you're at at the fence for your teammates and throwing yourself into the team and not yourself. I think that's what's so important. Hey guys, today's highlighted review comes from Aliupi11. I love your name, by the way. She said, the content Ashley shares are great lessons both on and off the field for my daughter. These young athletes will be so far ahead of the game, learning the mental tools she provides in her podcast to complement the physical skills they are working on in practice. Man, this lights me up because that is the whole point of this podcast. I want athletes like your daughter and you to be able to feel empowered, to be able to coach and play the game at your best potential. And it means the world that you're also learning not not just the physical skills, but really the mental skills that make athletes great. Uh, that means the world to me, Aliupi11. I, I don't know your actual name, but means the world that you left this review. Please, please, please write a review of this podcast. I'll probably highlight yours next. I think it's powerful that you just mentioned that you had this breakdown at the professional level. Yeah. You know, like... And, and just needed a little kick in the butt because I know there are athletes that are so hard on themselves at a young age because yeah. every failure is like, 
I'm a failure, you mm-hmm. know, and, and they take it to the next play, to the next at bat. And it's just like this tornado effect. But I, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but I'm saying it again because I think it's worth sharing. So I played basketball and there's, I mean, every missed shot could be like a failure, right? A mistake. Yeah. Every bad pass could be a mistake. Like there are a lot of times where you're more off than you're on. But the thing is when you miss a shot on offense, you have to go play defense. So it's like, it's it's almost instilled in the game. Failure recovery is already a thing. Yeah. So that I believe is what helped me have a better failure recovery, but you didn't have other sports mm-hmm. to figure this out. You had a dad who was like, hey, this book's really good. And we're gonna talk about <laughs> mental game and how you can how you can recover. And we're gonna so, talk- <laughs> yeah, but, but I think that's so powerful because I don't think this conversation is being talked about enough. Mm-hmm. I don't think the failure recovery methods of throwing grass is talked about enough. I mean, you, you look at MLB players that are fixing their, their batting gloves between every pitch to reset. Yep. And then infielders are throwing dirt just like you did in the outfield. So I do want to stay on this topic for just a little while longer because I, I want young athletes and parents to know that it's okay to fail mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. it's very natural to fail. I mean, do you have any personal stories of what, like you or someone that you know that, you know, maybe struggled with this a little bit and like how they were able to overcome it in maybe a different way? Um, you know, I think in college, everyone goes through, everyone goes through it, especially, um, if you played on a really good travel ball team and you were so used to winning all the time and being on base all the time and, you know, you just played at a high level, you kind of get knocked down a little bit in college and, and you realize like every pitcher you face in the Pac-10, which is what it was back then, everyone's good. There's no breaks. And especially these days, I mean, you don't even have to get to conference. It's everyone's good all the time. And yeah, I think the growth every single fall and into the spring of freshmen, you see it every single year. And that's part of our job is to help them find strategies that work for them on a personal level, because it's not a cookie cutter process. You have to learn about the individual and what helps them. And, and yeah, like the grass might be good for someone and someone's going to be like, this is so dumb. Like, (laughs) you know, like they might hate on the process, but finding something for them. And I always, just like you talked about with basketball, I always knew I could control the outfield. Like, that's very controllable to me. Like I can get a good jump, a good read. Like there's only so many bad hops this ball can take in the outfield. There's a fence there. It's not moving. You know, I practice with these girls every day. It's very much so predictable. And if you're ready, like that was always my thing. Like I can be the best outfielder I can be. I might have an off day at the plate, but I'm going to just play the heck out of a center field. You know what I mean? So teaching them that, there's so many more aspects to the game than just your at-bats. I mean, if you think about it, the game is so much more dynamic and you can just be energy that day and you can help us win. You know, you might not even be playing and some of the most valuable people on our team are the bringers of the energy. You know, they might be bench mm-hmm. hitters, they might be pinch hitters, but just embracing the heck out of whatever that is is so very important. And they just... You know, I know it's, it's hard for me to say, don't take yourself too seriously, but you can't take yourself too seriously in this game. 
it is not the end of the world to struggle, um, to struggle at the plate, but it's, it's not, I don't want to say fun, but it's challenging that first kind of experience with failure that they have, but to see them, to see them grow and thrive after, like, you can't not go through it. This game's going to humble you. Like it just is. That's the beauty of it. And, you know, it weeds a lot of people out through that, you know, not the best aren't going to um, get weeded out by it, but there's a lot of people that, you know, if you don't want to go through the hard stuff, you're not going to quite get to where you want to be. So it's fun to see our girls go through that process and just come out the other side as just different players, different humans. And, and at the end of the day, it's not just making them better softball players, but just, just better people, which is really cool. Yeah. I love that you mentioned finding your own control because mm-hmm. you've worked your butt off in the outfield. You love it. And, you know, having that control, knowing that like, you're really good at this one thing, like let's rely on that today. I think that's very powerful. So it, it doesn't let the negativity of some bad at bats just creep in and make yeah. and make it just take over your whole day. It's finding the control of, you know, the at bat, grabbing some grass. Here's the at bat. Let's get rid of it. That's just a powerful tactic of like, I'm ready to get rid of this so I can like make this next play or I can make sure my next at bat, I learn something and I do something different. And you just, I mean, the way you just described it, you took the control back, you know, all Mm -hmm. of a sudden something that wasn't in your control is now in your control. So I think that the way you made it sound is perfect. Yeah. So why do you love the outfield so much? Yeah. You know, shortstop, (laughs) shortstop was my first love, I will say. And to watch someone play shortstop beautifully is like one of my most favorite things to do. Like when I'm recruiting and I see just great hands, um, Lovey Jung, one of my favorites to watch play infield, Natasha Watley, but their hands just like, oh my yeah. God, I could just watch it for days, the smoothness. But um, that was my first love. And then <laughs> I was tiny, I'm telling you, like it says 105 pounds on my driver's license. And I'm pretty sure that's what I weighed when I got to college. And I just, I wasn't <laughs> the biggest, strongest, like I was, was going to cover ground, but my arm wasn't strong yet. So they stuck me in the outfield, which I was like, little hesitant about. And then when I realized that I just got to run and, and running is just, I mean, it's my love, right? Like I will say sprinting is my love. I don't want to go on a a job going nowhere, but sprinting, sprinting and taking good angles and just really having a big piece of the game, you know, on your shoulders. I think that's a huge thing too. It's just I, I love tracking balls down. I love the challenge of the first step because to me, like that takes a mentality that is just, you better be on your game and it better be every pitch because you you can't have a good first step if you are kind of checked in part of the time. So I think with all positions, the greatest um, on defense and, and you look at Laura Berg and how checked in she is all the time. It's, it's very motivating and it's just, it's a, it's a game, right? You get one ball all game. And sometimes on the national team, I got like no balls for like two months because our pitchers were so I was going to say yeah. a lot of strikeouts. Yeah. A lot of strikeouts. So it really takes a lot of um, mental training and just being ready for that moment. And that was a challenge but a challenge that was exciting to me because the one time that you do get to make it happen and get to a ball that just barely hits the ground or just barely gets to the fence, it's, it's worth the thousands of 
first steps that you took on foul balls or missed balls or, you know, just trying to get to the first step. Yeah. So what do you think made you so good with the first step? Because I agree. I think that's, I was telling you before we started recording that when dad and I would watch you and and Tasha, like, because outfield was what I love to play too. We watched your first step. Actually, Natasha was playing shortstop at the time, but (laughs) either way, your first step was so powerful and you got so much longevity with, you know, with what you had, like you got away from where you started so fast. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's an overlooked thing. I think like when you're playing defense, you don't really think about that stuff, but why do you think you were so good at the first step? Just a bunch of reps or specific drills, live reps with BP was 100% all of it. I mean, everything you just described, it was true live reps. And honestly, like at the core of it is not being afraid to look dumb, like absolutely dumb. So, you know, I teach our girls here, even if the they're not making contact with the ball, there's a direction you can be moving because of the way their swing looks. So like you can tell if they're about to roll something over or, you know, if they're constantly late on something, the way they foul something back. I can remember <laughs> being at uh, USA camp and girls, especially Bustos and Abbott was like, everybody waited for that matchup because she swung hundred miles an hour and Monica was throwing hundred miles an hour. So like power on power, it was like, like you just felt a breeze in the outfield, like anytime she would miss. But anyways, I remember, uh, Bergie playing center field and Bustos found straight back and Bergie was like, Ooh, <laughs> I felt that. And I felt that on such a big level because it's what I feel inside. Like that ball was almost coming to me and it was going in this direction. And mm. when you do something for so long and you, and you want the ball to be hit to you, you just, you just feel those things. And, and did I make a lot of mistakes? Yeah. And did I go the wrong way sometimes? Yeah. And did I have to, you know, reverse my course a couple times on the same ball? Heck yes. Just committing to like being uncomfortable and you know what? It's lonely work. I will say that too. You know, when you're growing up, a lot of shagging in the outfield is like playtime, combo time. And it is in college too. And it's really lonely sometimes to, you know, to work on that part of your game when other people don't necessarily want to. But at the end of the day, it's like people start to follow if it's done the right way and if you um, honor the game in that way. And that was the most, one of the most fun things being on Team USA was that was just a way of life. That's what they did. And it was, you know, it was their lifestyle and that's what made them so special was they just carried themselves that way the whole time. So I I know, you know, a lot of people want the best drill, but you got to face hitters that you're going to face in a game and you got to commit wholeheartedly to every decision you make. And, and that's probably the best advice I can give. I'm so glad you mentioned it's not about drills because I think too many people rely on drills and as a hitting coach who loves coming up with new drills for different hitters. Cause I'm like, Ooh, I think this can help your hips or, Oh, I think this will help your hands. Like I love coming up with drill work, but that seems to be the only thing people want. Yeah. And in my opinion, drills are great to feel, you know, different things in your swing and to make adjustments. But unless you're actually hitting off of a pitcher, Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> like, don't expect to be ready come game time. And that's the same thing for outfield, the same thing for defense. Like, yeah. live reps are everything. Yeah. So did you love just shagging as much as I did? Because I remember standing in the outfield and everybody would be like, just talking, like, hey, this is fun. I'm like, oh, no, I'm diving for this next ball. Like, yeah. It's honestly <laughs> one of the things I miss the most. Like being in the outfield and I can, I can have a balance. Right. And we did have a balance on the pride, especially of like, you know, I'm not going to go balls out for every, for every rep. There's going to be moments where we're chatting, chatting. Okay. Now it's business. And I think that's important too, is, you know, you're not going to be 100% business focused the entire game. There's moments where you step back from that. And I think, you know, one of the most powerful things you learn is how to get yourself in and out of that zone. Um, so I think that's important too. And uh, coach always used to talk about this funnel of focus and, you know, how you show up to the game and walk in the locker room and then how it kind of funnels down into that laser like focus vision. So I think that's also my time to, you know, and our girls do such a great job of it now. And it, it just makes me miss it even more because they, they kill it out there. But um, just how I see them show up laughing with each other and then they go out to shag BP and just slowly you you see them become their alter egos on the field, you know, like, mm. like the slow process of going from, you know, Alyssa Palomino, the person to funneling down to like the center fielder and the hitter and just watching that happen is so fun on the flip side because – on the playing side, you're so focused about getting yourself ready. And on this side, it's like you're just watching to see how they prepare themselves. And hopefully you can kind of help along that path. Yeah. And earlier you talked about how much you love practice. And it does. Like if you do not find that zoned in alter ego in practice, you're not just going to have it in a game and be ready. Yep. So I don't think enough people love practice. So is there something that made you absolutely love it? Well, I think you have to find ways to compete, honestly. And, and our practices are built for competition. And I remember we did a drill one day. It was our regular throwing to bases, right? But we, coach has it down to a T, right? Like there's X amount of throws in each throwing to bases. And so one time he made it a competition and he was like, okay, so if you get your five from right, then you go to center, then you go to left, then you're done. So it should be like 15 throws and then you're done. And I did it in 15 one time. And he's like, all right, I need to see you do that every day. And I was like, okay. But it was like the crisp feeling of like, if you perfect this, then we're going to move on. And I think that's what's so cool about practice here is if we conquer the drill, this practice is going to be two hours. It's not going to be three hours. You know, it's when we, lag and lose focus and now we're having to spend extra time on things and it's one of the most fun things honestly about the group we have right now practice is so much fun and and you feel that as a coach right away with groups you know if it's going to be like do you have to motivate them or are they going to come out and honestly motivate me to even be better as a coach because they are so on their game and ready to practice and it is one of the most fun things to watch and be around is just you know, I tell our outfielders all the time because we kind of start team practice because we start with outfield throw. You're either bringing the energy that day or you're taking it away and it's going to happen right from the get-go. So I always challenge them to set the tone of practice. 
And mm. I always took that upon myself too. And our group, um, like, how are we going to set the tone for the day? And hopefully that can start to carry over to games. I love that. And you mentioned Alyssa Palomino. I love that girl. <laughs> she's great. She- I think she's going on 27 years here, so she's never going to leave. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. When you get injured, that's just how that happens. <laughs> I know. She's, she's such a good human. Good. Uh, I'm happy I got her in the outfield because it was like center, first base for a while. And I was like, mm-hmm. talk about first step. I, you know, I remember having this conversation about, you know, you don't have to be the fastest, but you better be the quickest and most direct to the ball. And that girl is, she makes up ground that she wouldn't have gotten speed wise, but that first step is beautiful to watch. Yeah. She just loves to play too. It's so, it's so, I mean, your whole team does, Yeah. but when you know somebody on a field and you're like watching them, you're like, their success feels like yours, you know, Yes. that's how she's just so passionate. Yeah. Fun to watch. I'll have to text her after this and be like, we just talked about you. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. But I don't want to take up too much more of your time because you got a lot of things going on. But I want to, before, I'm going to ask you some final questions here in a second. But I just want to thank you so much for just hanging out. I mean, I told you before we started, this was just going to be a chat, a convo. Like, I'm interested in a lot of things, obviously, because I've been watching you since I was little. But what's crazy is... And this, you're going to think this is nuts, but a lot of the things you were describing about your personality, the way you play, it's so funny how similar we were. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Like, no. I think truly when you can have somebody in your, even though you don't know them, but have somebody that you watch and you analyze and you watch them play, watch them fail, watch them succeed, watch mm-hmm. them run into a wall, like a brick wall. In the ce- in center field, I think you're going to, do you know which one I'm talking about? When you like, it was on TV, yes. you're diving for a ball, smashed yes. into the wall and fell. Yes. Like It was wooden wall. I won't give myself the brick wall, but it was wooden and we didn't have a warning track. And it wasn't very nice wood either. It was like kind of splintery. But yeah, it was, it was one of those things. And you know, playing defense, like when the ball is, you know, contact is made you know right away if it's catchable you can get there yeah you just know so like to to not attempt is like not an option it's just you know you can get there so you better get there and I don't know I mean I think every a switch gets turned on in everyone that kind of takes them to that mode it didn't work out for me that time (laughs) but talk about teammates man they got all fired up after that, I think we were down by five runs and came back and won that game. And man, I couldn't have big, picked a better group of girls to go to war with. Yeah. I mean, it was fun on my end watching that. Cause I was like, okay, first <laughs> of all, she didn't make the catch, but like, I have never seen someone go so hard at a ball and yeah. like not even care that there was a wall. Like yeah. it, I mean, obviously you cared, you were hurting for a second. <laughs> um, but it's, it's that type of drive that I, that I admired from a young age and it's definitely taken you to where you are now. And there's no surprise to me that you're coaching at your alma mater, loving the game, still around the game, doing Mm -hmm. random podcasts with when the cleats come off, (laughs) (laughs) but this has been so much fun. I'm so glad you were able to come on. I had a great time. Thank you for having me and I'll be back. Me too. Yeah, let's do it. We can talk about all the things from slapping to outfield to all the yeah. things. But before you go, I got a couple final questions okay. I want to ask you. All right. Good? Mm-hmm. All right. So first question, what's your favorite thing about the game of softball? Oh, my God. 
Wow, that's like such a loaded question. Um, I think my favorite thing about softball is you're always going to, whatever you put into it, you're going to get out of it. And I think that's an important life skill. So, so that would be my favorite thing is it really is true to what you, what you give is what you're going to get. Mm, I love that answer. What was the biggest lesson that your parents taught you? <laughs> um, my, my dad always taught me to like come back down to earth, you know, like he would walk away from the field and I would have struck out three times and he'd just be like, man, you really suck today. You know, <laughs> like he would just, it would never be so serious, like life or death. Um, it was, it was a game and I was falling in love with the game. Not, there are so many situations that are so much more serious. And he always kind of brought me back to reality of, you know, having fun and yeah, I have competitive desire, but, but bring me back down to earth. Yeah. And we're all human and we make mistakes. All human. Yeah. Good answer. What is something that you wish you could tell your 12 year old self? Oh my gosh. I think probably to soak it up a little bit more. It happens really, really fast, even from 12, but your college career, especially, it just happens so fast and to just, I wish I would have, you know, soaked it up a little more. I'm kind of jealous about, you know, this podcast and like the resources that 12 year old girls have now, because I would have killed for just content, right. That we have nowadays, but, but yeah, just, really just living in the moment and, and staying true to, to myself too. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved what you said earlier about how your dad knew how to learn. That clearly was something that was instilled in you as well. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I think more athletes need that. Like the, yeah. you know, I, I can't tell you how many people reach out to me and say, how do I fix this in my swing? And sure, like, I'm going to give you a response in a DM, but a part of me is like, my 12-year-old self did not have access to this. Yeah. I went straight to YouTube yeah. and I looked up things. And now there's probably like five times more YouTube videos now. And we so. didn't even have YouTube, honestly. I feel like we had, my dad bought every single uh, VHS tape that was ever made about softball. I mean, it was yes. Larry Ray slapping videos and Coach Kendra's infield and outfield videos and base running and and baseball, honestly, like he took me to Anaheim Angel baseball games all the time and I could rattle off their starting lineup. He just took me to things that he's like, this is your passion. Like, I want to show you what it looks like at a high level. So we didn't have, you know, the College World Series like it is now. We had an occasional, you know, USA tour stop or um, baseball, but who cares? Like, go take your kids and show them what it's like for people to compete. Yeah. And you were talking about watching shortstops just doing their thing. And like, I think of Javi Baez. He's my favorite shortstop. I grew up a Cubs fan, but I'm like, even then, like I don't play shortstop, but I admire the crap out of Javi and how he can get rid of the ball so fast to where I find myself like hanging out with my athletes now. And I'm like, Hey, let's pretend we're Javi Baez right now. And like, just like get rid of it. As you're tagging, cause you know, (laughs) all the things Mike Trout was mine so Mike Trout is younger than me and I constantly find myself like idolizing people that I'm like okay now in the game you're younger than me but like I just admire the heck out of how you play and um now it's like role models that aren't on the field I mean or that are on the fields but like if I see like moms being successful in this realm I'm just like, man, that's another type of role model that we have that we didn't, 
necessarily shed light on before, you know, it's so very cool how you can keep um, growing in the game that way. Yeah. Would you say that, and this was not one of the questions I planned, but would you say (laughs) that if you were to like, let's say go back and play right now, which while you were watching athletes unlimited, you were probably like, get me on the field. Yeah. Cause that's, that's how I was. Especially with the money they made, man. I'm like, yeah, let's compete for this. Right. <laughs> right. We were just kind of playing for fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. How bad or how much do you think that being older, you actually know more and you probably could have even been better than, than what you were. Oh, like, 100%. Yeah would have been better. And I talked to Kelly Kretschmann a lot and um, just knowing like Megan Wiggins. And I know so much of their success is just being smarter than everyone that's out there right now, because, Mm. you know, people are coming straight out of school and they're hitting this for the first time. And I remember Kelly the year after, or a couple years after I retired, she'd be like, dude, like you'd so love this. The pitchers are so predictable right now. <laughs> I'm like, she's, she just outsmarts. Like she knows what she's going to get. She yeah. can put a good swing on it. She knows how to recover from failure super fast. So she's just kind of owning it. And those, those are skills you just don't get until you get older and you, you get kicked in the butt a little bit and life throws you a million curveballs, and, you know, you just grow as a person and then to come back and do it would be awesome. But I guess that's what coaching is, right? Like now we have to pass that on. Absolutely. And you're doing a great job of it. It's been so fun. It's been so fun watching you now coach. I will say this before we, I ask the final question. I remember, I think it was like my junior year of mm-hmm. college. And I may have mentioned this in a former podcast, but who cares? I'm saying it again. <laughs> I remember, so you were coaching at this time. I don't know what year it was that you were coaching, but I just knew you were in the dugout next to Mike Andrea. I also watched Mike Andrea's videos of all the infield <laughs> drills and stuff. My dad is probably going to geek out when he hears this. He's going to be like, <laughs> yes, this was our life. But there was something about playing against you and Mike Andrea to where I'm in a pretty uniform playing against Arizona. And I was like, I, I feel like it's the World Series for me. So I'm like, <laughs> let's go. And I remember I played pretty lights out. Like I think I hit, a, I think I went two for three, walked once and just like, just had fun and stole a couple of bases, whatever. But then after the game, like we were going through the line and of course my heart's like pumping. Cause I'm like, oh my God, like Caitlin Love never actually met her in my life. But the composure that you have as a coach that you also had when you played was just so fun to just see as an athlete that was doing okay against your team. I'm like, okay, Caitlin, I got my double. Like what's next? Like <laughs> in my head. But I don't know. I just think there's so much power in that role model. And I, and I think it just brings out another element of yourself. And I know you, you talked about Laura Berg being a role model for you. And you mentioned a lot of people that really meant a lot to you. But it's pretty cool that you can probably now say as a coach that all of these other influences on your life kind of made you who you are. Would you agree to that? Totally. I think, you know, everything that I am as a coach, there's been just little, little pieces I've been able to take from so many different people, starting with the big chunk of just my heart in this game. And that's my parents, you know, and just starting from that foundation where they taught me how to love the game, but they also taught me how to love myself. And I think that's so very important for everyone out there. It's like, if you don't, if you don't find joy in this and it's not adding to who you are, kind of what are we doing? So starting with that and then just 
adding little pieces and, and figuring out, you know, what to grasp onto, what to not, what works for you. But yeah, I have, I mean, there's an army of people standing behind me that have helped mold me into the person that I am today. And I couldn't, I really couldn't be more thankful for it. And, you know, I hope that to, you know, you're doing it right now, but giving back is hopefully, you know, adding little pieces to other people's stories too. So I truly feel like the game has given me so much and it's, it's my honor to, you know, hopefully give back to the game too. So well said. All right. So before I ask the final question, I know people are going to want to follow you. They're going to be like, Caitlin Lowe, where can I find her? What social media platform do you like to hang out on? And what's your handle? Twitter and Instagram are basically all I know. I I have not (laughs) gotten into TikTok. I've (laughs) seen things that get posted on my Twitter, but Caitlin Lowe, because I joined when it first started. So I actually got my straight up name. Sweet. (laughs) Yeah. So it's not hard at Caitlin Lowe, Twitter and Instagram. But yeah, I'm trying to hold true to those two and not really delve into stuff that I don't know until my daughter probably makes me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And your photos of your, like, if your kids, it's just the cutest thing ever. It's awesome. It's been, you know, blessing in disguise with COVID. I've had a lot of time with my family and I know that's a struggle for college coaches and coaches in general is that balance. So it has been, you know, very nice to see my kids grow up on a daily basis. And I'm sure they're (laughs) sick of me by now. And I know every lyric to every Disney movie ever made. So happy to be back out on the field a little bit too. You and every parent, by the way. Yeah. Pretty sure they all know him too. You're not the only one. (laughs) Awesome. So this last final question I have for you is what legacy do you want to leave on our game? I I guess I just want people to see that I truly loved the game for what it is and, and just leaving, you know, every single ounce of what I had to give back to this game. I want it to be given back to this game and it really shaped me and molded me into into who I am and it's just I don't know I can't ever thank you know this game enough for what it's done for me so I just think like giving my all to it um, in any way that I can and and through so many different athletes hopefully is what I can um, pass on and that's what I see with coach all the time it's like he's touched so many lives and not even people that have played with him you know, that just respect the heck out of him. So if I can do like <laughs> 1% of what he's done for this game, um, I think it'll be a success. Well, I can already tell you've done more than that. So <laughs> give yourself some credit. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so, so much for being on. And it's funny, you and Natasha had the same answer on that last question. Really? I'm not surprised at all. Get out of here. I love that girl. Yes, I love her too. And <laughs> we just we just had an interview a couple weeks ago. So I don't know if by the time this podcast is up, if she's going to be up yet, it'll depend on the planning, but yeah, she's going to be on the show here in a second too. So good. I look forward to listening to it. Yeah. I'll send you the link. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you. It was an honor. Pinch me. This was so much fun. Can you just see how much passion she has for this game? There is no doubt in my mind that because of her passion as a player and how much she loved the game early on is the reason why she's decided to make softball a career and not just any career she's an assistant coach at Arizona and 
She's coaching underneath one of the most legendary coaches in the game of softball, Mike Candrea. Who knows, maybe we can get him on the podcast sometime soon. But either way, you guys can see how much, how, and how, how important it is that an athlete truly loves this game. Because if they are ever feeling limited, if they're ever told that they can't do something, Caitlin never had that in her life, which is probably the biggest reason why she was able to go so far. She followed her passion. Her parents at a young age helped fuel that passion and kept her on the route to becoming the best version of her. Like she said, it wasn't about a scholarship. It was truly about becoming the best athlete she could be. And that totally happened for her. So thanks for tuning into this week's episode. I hope that you share this with all of your softball friends because I know I'm going to. Until next time, this has been When the Cleats Come Off and I'll see you guys later. So there you have it. Another episode of When the Cleats Come Off is completed. And if you loved it, I would love if you shared this with your softball community. The only way this game grows is if we have people like you that are eager to learn more and are eager to also share that new knowledge with other people. So if this episode really brought somebody that you know into fruition in your brain and you know that they can learn from this conversation, I would love it if you shared it with them because the more people that can learn from this type of conversation, I think the better the game of softball gets. And who knows, maybe this will be shared with other people in other sports because I truly believe some of these conversations, they don't just hit the game of softball, they hit all sports. And if there are people that come to your brain, I would love more than anything if you shared it. If you do share it, make sure you tag me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever social platform you hang out on. I would love to see that you're sharing this and I would love to see some of your favorite parts. If you do share it, make sure to tag me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Guys, I'm even on TikTok, Ashley V Training, and at Smashly underscore four is where you can find me. And make sure you tell me which part was your favorite. I want to know what resonated with you so that I can create more content like that for you to share with your softball community. I can't wait to share another episode with you. Same time, same place next week. See you later. Oh, 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 oh,